Hello and welcome to Open All Ours. I'm Clive Whittingham from Love for Words and yes, you're stuck with me as host, but fear not. I feel like this might be, should be quite an optimistic hour or so. Uh, we're in the middle of our final international break of the season, but nevertheless have plenty to talk about. There's been a 1-1 draw at Reading since our last recording. Could have been a defeat, should have been a win. Settle on a draw. We'll be looking at that and uh, who the man in the Lee Wallace costume is. Uh, we've also had uh, Fans Forum, always great fun, and we'll be going through the main talking points from that. Eyes down, looking for any line across on your Fans Forum bingo card. And we're back in action with two matches over the Easter Bank holiday weekend, starting with Cov on Friday. Final clump of nine championship games coming up. QPR in good form, feeling optimistic, wondering what might be next season. And with some, in theory, favourable fixtures coming up, stop me if you've heard this one before. Then it'll be Paul Finney's four or five hours ends and then we're done. Here to discuss that with me, <laughs> and I've given the first one away already. How are you, Paul? I'm all right. You, you could have done a slow build-up there and then gradually introduce me though, Clive, but you went straight before it's fine. Yeah, we're getting it out of the way, mate, because uh, mm. second on tonight is Jim Frailing. I actually went and looked on your LinkedIn about 10 minutes ago, Jim, oh, to, find out, to find out what uh, precise role you had at QPR. And it basically seems like you had every role at QPR, but also it says on there, at one stage, PR manager. My God, man. <laughs> How have you still got hair? Yeah, it's going. It's rapidly going. Yeah, I'm just grateful that, I, I mean, the forums were bad enough when I was out. I'm just grateful social media had yet to be invented between 1999 and 2003. So uh, here's to the lack of social media when I worked there. <laughs> Uh, and so say all of us. Uh, third uh, third in line to the throne, Paul Moorcroft, who is on because he is a QPR fan from Coventry. How are you, Paul? I'm grand, yeah. Really looking forward to Friday. Um, it's always a big game for me. Um, most, well, almost all my family, my friends are all Cov fans. So it's a um, massive game for me all, every year. So let's hope we can, well, I don't want us to lose twice this season to them on their first season back. We've had some good ones at Cov. I remember uh, George Santos scoring in the... Uh, oh, no, was it Furlong? Furlong? Late winner? No, George Santos, yeah. I think. I remember that one. And obviously the big win there under John Gregory. Um, yeah. The Rico, Carl Walker scoring, although they didn't give it to yeah. Carl Walker. Um, a couple of seasons before that we had Jimmy Smith um, yeah. scoring. And with, um, we had Lee, Lee Camp sort of running towards the... Um, the away fans, which was one of the, one of my highlights actually, because we, we were nearly going down that season, so that was a really good game to go to. So, yeah. Don't mention the first game at the Rico or no, uh, the one of the last games in the Premier League when Andy Impey chinned that guy. We got Ian yep. Jess. No, no, we don't, men we don't mention Ian good. Jess. <laughs> Jim's left. That's the end. Yeah. Of Jim. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, sorry, I've killed it there mentioning Ian. Just it's, also, it's also famous for the specials, the best band ever. There you go. Let's talk Reading away. I feel like uh, that could have gone either way and ended up as a draw. Had our good spells and bad spells in that game. Uh, Finney, I'm turning to you uh, first on this. Can you remember back as far as uh, Reading? We're recording a week and a half later. Is that on the M4 somewhere? Uh, it's literally on the M4. Yes, I do. I mean, to be honest with you, it's when we go out and do two halves, we're going to be so flipping good. It's going to be amazing. So I, I've got no complaints. Listen, you, you, you've got to take it as it comes. Really, you know, 
decent enough side, God knows how, but they are. And um, you did take that before the game. And as you said at the start of the intro, Clive, you can't argue that we should have probably had three points. But at least, you know, it's probably Dyke's best game, I thought, for us as well, for being brutally honest. I think, I don't know, is, is it just me or is it terrifying being optimistic about QPR? Because you're kind of looking at it, you're thinking, like, we've avoided all these banana skins. We've kind of really gone for it, really played really well. We're, we're doing okay. We're, Dax is sort of, he's, he's put himself about. He's, he's now got a goal. It's, it's looking really good. And you just think, what can possibly go wrong? And then we're playing Coventry, who aren't playing so well. So who knows? But yeah, Reading was decent. Um, I also like playing Reading because you kind of see how bad our kick could be if we were let loose with the people they, they designed theirs. Those are shocking. I mean, it's a disgrace to the hoops what they do to them things, but there you go. No, I'm pleased with it. And I think, Clive, here's a serious question for you because you, you're the two monkey next to um, Jim. How do we keep our goalkeeper a secret? Wait, he's making his debut for Senegal tonight. I was watching a, watching a little bit of that before we um, before we came on. But I, I've been listening to you uh, shouting in my ear while I've been running around Whetstone about how we're going to make the playoffs. Um, so it's you know that was that was we still can. Yeah. Come on, mate. Come on. Clive, if you haven't got hope, you might as well have <laughs> I have hope. I, I feel I, like it's going well. I feel like it's going well. Jim, talk, talk about Reading. I, I was quite happy. Uh, yeah. Look, I, I have to confess, I've, I've watched the highlights on that one. I hate streaming games. So this has not been the season for me. I feel like we always do worse when I'm not at a match and watching it. And so I've... You know, and after years of sort of watching away games on CFAX and being derided for it by my mates when I was really when I was young, I sort of now can't bear the sort of possibility of watching remotely. I really struggle with it. So I tend to try and like watch back. And if it's if it's a decent game, I'll watch most of it. And if it's not, I'll just skim the highlights sort of thing. So I'm not brilliantly qualified to talk about Reading. I'm I'm pleased with the way it's going, but I sort of feel like we, we've been here before in terms of a season petering out. And I think it's a real test now for the players and for Warburton to see if we get uh, kind of any shreds of progress you know or signs of it in the next few months because you know the recent good form has been wonderful and but and and you've praised the January transfer window on here a few times here Finney and, and like that's that's entirely correct the four four really solid signings but if you take Austin and Johansson out of the team which isn't a given that, that either of them will come to us next year you know how much have we progressed how much have we? And I'm I'm being a, a touch pessimistic here, but you know you, you took um, you took away Naki Wells, you took away Jordan Hugel last year as Premier League loanees. We've replaced them now with two Premier League loanees and looked a hell of a lot better. So I mean, I do feel the team has progressed. I just you know glass half full. You look at it and you say, well, how much have we truly progressed? If we're still reliant on two Premier League loanees to really sort of impose on the league, so you know there have been improvements and having sold our biggest player. And, and most important player. That was a really important sale for the club strategically, as a. Um, but then it, it, it's kind of understandable we had that patch after selling him where we were a bit unremarkable. So yeah, I guess uh, I guess a lot of talent, a lot of talent's gone out of the team. If you if you'd said sort of January time last year, Manning, Wells, Hugill, Eze, Samuel, Grant Hall. Um, are all going to go? I'm sure I've missed one. I try. I try and write this list, but um, they're all going to go, and you're going to be higher in the league next season. I'm not sure anybody would have believed you, but at the same time, we're sort of propped up by a couple of Premier League loans again. So, and there's and also then, an there's also an argument that says with those players last year, we should have done better. 
and you put you put a couple of players from this year in last year's team. You know, you take Diang and you and Dicky into last year's team, and you're thinking, okay, that would have been a hell of a team, wouldn't it? But equally, I think the biggest loss has been Manning and Bright Say Samuel because you wouldn't necessarily like particularly an interested Bright Say Samuel, not one whose transfer future was under a cloud this year, which I think did affect him. And if you'd said, well, we knew that maybe Hugel and Wells, okay, that wasn't going to happen. We knew Ezzy needed to be sold. And frankly, I was delighted and I always felt we could do better for less money than Grant Hall. And I think Dickie's proved that. Um, but it's Manning. Like, imagine Manning as a left wing back in this team. Credit to Wallace. I'm sure we'll discuss him later. You know, he got player of the month. He's done well. But um, And he's proved me wrong. Earlier in the season, I thought he was absolutely gone. Uh, but Manning in this team, he makes that wing back role really work and creates a lot. And, you know, that, that to me still, that's a real shame the way that panned out. Left wing back, top of the shopping list in the summer. Other Paul, what did you uh, make of Reading? Did you come out of that game feeling optimistic, pessimistic? Yeah, both. I, I was um, at the end. I was actually quite disappointed. I thought, um, although we want people not to find out about our goalkeeper, it was a sort of rare mistake by him. Um, but I hold that against him. He made up for it um, many, many times over. I am. Um, I thought we could have we could have done better near the end. Sort of maybe puts away some of those chances. I think Reading have had a fantastic season, but I think a lot of that is because they haven't had to worry too much about the sort of no fans in the stadium because they're quite used to that anyway. <laughs> so I think we, you know, I think that's probably one of the reasons why Reading have done very well. But um, I think what you're saying about some of the players we've brought in, I think um, we've got to also take into consideration some of the, the injuries we had early on in the season. If you think of like Amos, we started to play really well when Amos started to come into himself and then he got injured and we thought, okay, we've got Carroll. A lot of people weren't too sure about him, but then he came into himself and really played well. And we started to pick up the results and then it dipped again. And I think now that we're sort of bringing other players in on loan, it shows how important that sort of midfield position is. And I think going forward, whoever it is next year, we've got in that position. If it's Amos Carroll or loan, whoever it is, we've really got to make sure that's a strong position. I think it shows how important that is to our whole sort of formation. It'd be interesting to see because... We're obviously going for the cheaper option sometimes for players and we're trying to build with youth and everything else. And then <clears throat> when it goes fully wrong, we have to throw money at it and bring in yep. the experience, the big premiership loan. So a wee bit of balance next season on that. Although I would love to keep the players we have on loan. And maybe, <clears throat> as Clive said, if Wallace plays away, he's playing, he's, he's kind of undroppable, really, if I'm being honest with you. But you're right about Manning. But, you know, it just means that we don't have to have to bring a couple in. And, you know, the way Barbe and, and Dickie are playing together as well is, is, mm. is amazing. I mean, Cameron will be gone. That'll free up a lot of money. Um, so it's, it's very, very doable that we could maybe do a deal to keep Oskin and, and Johan to the club, which would be I was incredible gonna, fans. Listen, I was going to come on to that in the fans forum, but you brought it up now. Why is it doable? Because at the end of the day, we've had to, We've had to throw money at it anyway. So if we if we start the season and think, right, we've we can go for it the next season, we can do this and, and get higher and higher and higher in the league. You know, once fans come by, you get more gear revenue, you get more, you know, Austin can run it um will bring in money with shirts and everything else. They, they have benefits as well as just no, being sorry, Finney. I've got to interrupt there. People, just, it's a real bugbear of mine where people talk about shirt sales going in any way remotely. I mean, it's his left half a toenail, Charlie Austin, a, a shirt sale. It's like, you know, of all the shirts we're ever going to sell from Charlie Austin, you know, might pay for his chiropodist. 
but not for him. You know, it's like, and I, t I take your point about what, about could we do a bit better with it? But like the shirt sale bit in particular, no, sorry, doesn't work. But I agree. I'd love to have Austin at the club. And, and to be fair, I set this in motion by asking the question, how reliant on those loanies are we? And are we as good as we think? What we, what we do show, to be fair, is we've got the core of a good team that with a couple of extra signings has actually massively kicked on. And with a couple more experienced players, you know, who are quality. And to be fair to the club, they said, look, the players like that weren't available for the money that, that we're, and the deals that we're getting them on. They weren't available in the summer. So we moved. Oh. Quite a smart move. And all four of our moves have worked out. Now, that is brilliant. Even, you know, Alex Ferguson and United used to say, look, one in three signings, if one in three doesn't work, you're doing well. You know, he signed some absolute dross down the years, you know. But if, for us to have four out of four hits in the tra January transfer window, well, credit to them where it's due. Also, credit to them for exploiting deals that were there to be done um, and may not have been there before. I, where you have a point is that it is slightly risky because... You know, I remember when I was at the club, and, and this is a good example, actually, Paul Furlong. Um, do you remember when he came on loan from Birmingham um, and he scored one goal, which was off his arse from a keeper's clearance, and then got injured, and then that was him done for three months? Well, the loan fee for that, Simon Crane, the chief exec, took away all my marketing budget for the year, which at the time was actually quite decent for a championship club. But to finance the loan fee for Paul Furlong's like three-month loan deal, he took away my whole marketing budget, right? And he scored one goal, was injured after six weeks and went away. And that can happen with a loan. Now, you know, fast forward a few years, he joins the club under Ian Holloway, has a crap first half of the season. Everyone thinks he's Chelsea reject, gets sent off at Tranmere away. And he came back from that game like a man transformed. And we went on a 23 game unbeaten run and got to the player mm. final and he was a hero. Which just goes to show, you know, there's not always that much science behind it. It can go both ways. So uh, I take Finney's got a good point in the sense that you should try and get these players in earlier if you can, because it's still a big risk in January to chuck money to get out of a problem. I think it's going to be like um, going forward next year, I think there'll be a lot of fans desperate to get back in the stadiums, but we equally need that bit of motivation for a few people as well, that actually there's going to be decent players in there. And a lot of what I'm hearing is almost don't, don't have any expectation for next year that, you know, we're not going to do anything can actually, you're thinking, as someone with a marketing background, we really do want to be having a bit of motivation to get there and to be enjoying the football. Obviously, most of us are going to be so desperate to get in there that it won't matter if we're losing 4 0, we want to be there. But actually, I think we still need a bit of motivation that we're going to have some good players there next year. First of all, I, I am now rooting for Fulham to stay in the Premier League because I yeah. think. I think the best chance, I think Johansson is terrific. He's way better than I ever realised he was before he played mm. for us. Just, it's like, you didn't realise how good Sean Derry was until he came and played for us. And you didn't realise how good Clint Hill was and people like that. It's exactly that all over again. I'd never really looked at him at Fulham and thought, mm. you know, this, is a, this guy's any good. He is fantastic and he has helped transform us. I honestly think the best chance we've got of getting him next year is Fulham staying up and loaning him, loaning him out again. Like I don't, I just I don't know how much money they're on, but there's no way the captain of Norway, 29 years old, playing it for a Premier League club. There's no, I just don't see any way he's on any less than say 25, 30 thousand pound a week, and there's absolutely no way we get anywhere close to that. Um, there's also mm. a number of there's also a number of other Championship teams that probably would go close to that. Um, 
So I, the only hope we've got of Johansson, in my pessimistic opinion, is Fulham stay up and he wants to come back and they loan him back. Austin, we'll see. There's a lot of talk about it being Austin's destiny and this being his club and he just transformed our attack. And you can't argue with what he's done. He's been brilliant, way better than I thought he was going to be coming back, having watched him at West Brom last year. And hats off to him. He's on less than £40,000 a week at West Brom. Honest to God, I'll give you the money myself because he just isn't. He's on at least that at West Brom. So this idea that he's going to come out of contract. Yeah, Jim's pointing up. It's more. I'm big, if he's kind of come out of contract at West Brom and signed for QPR, where the absolute most he's going to get is 10 grand a week. You know, that's some destiny. That's some love of the club. And again, there'll be other championship clubs that do chuck money around. That we'll look at how Austin played for us this year and go, well, we'll give you a year. We'll give you a year on 25, 30. I just, I'm seeing it already bubbling up that we have to sign the loan signings. We have to show ambition. And if we don't make the loan signings permanent, we're doomed. And the club, you know, I think it's just simple maths. We're going to need a Johansson and Austin equivalent next year, but the money they're on makes it prohibitive. I just, I, unless Austin is so besotted with QPR, and it's not just a, a nice story for Talksport. I just don't see it. The thing is, I mean, QPR always find the money from somewhere. I agree, not forty thousand. But they don't. Naki, where's Naki Wells now? He's yeah, at Bristol was... City. He's at Bristol City, which is exactly where he should be. Because yeah, the weird head is weird. I mean, they came in with a bid. He was in six months. He had the, you know, that that's comes. Burnley wanted some money that we weren't going to give him, but we were still paying his wages. We're still paying the wages of Hugo, which is still a lot of money. I get your point. We need to find equivalents. But everyone's looking for them players. You know, that's that's the problem. Johansson, no, people will be looking at him. And we'll be coming in for him next season. And no one will him do stay up because they've seen what he's done for us. I mean, you know, your man from Hull is probably the more realistic one, if I'm being honest. And, Field. you know. Well, I, you think know, Field, it, I think Field and Device are done, basically. I think they'll be here. I think that's all sort of... Agreed. Yeah, and Fields a good side. I mean, Fields, I like it, yeah. I mean, you've got Fields, you're going to have Amos, you're going to have like uh, Willock. I mean, it's not a bad wee midfielder and Carroll to come into it as well. And of course, Cher. It's it's good, but it will need a leader in there. And that's what we desperately need. And uh, maybe Field could step up a little bit. He's, he's certainly got the, um, the drive and ambition. And then you're looking at, you know, wing backs and you're looking at, you know, a bit more. I mean, to me, I think Albert could do a job as a right wing back for a limited time, as in appearance time. You're not going to get 90 minutes of him, but some of the crosses he's fired in um, are amazing, especially now Kane seemed to have shot himself in the foot with um, what he said the other week. So that's going to be another interesting development, whether we, we need a new a right back and a left back wing back, whatever they call them. He says, I'm old, you see. I still say left back and right back. Okay, certainly, need, certainly need a certainly need a left wing back. Although let's let's just do Wallace quickly. The only thing because I didn't like Wallace before, but he has had a good month and he did play well at Reading. Oh. You've got to give him that. The only thing I would say in his favour, this is the first time since he's come to QPR that he's been fit to play. Um, so I'm sure he and Warburton would say if he if he'd been able to get fit, he hadn't played for two years for one reason or another before he came here. This is he'd only played nine games up to Christmas. This is the first time he's been fit to play consecutive games looks great like Warburton always said he would so I don't know do, you, do we give him credit do we think he was a good player all along or is he just having a having a having a Matthew Rose is he doing a Matthew Rose That's contract the, coming up that is the one it's, his contract <laughs> is up and it is a Matthew Rose as long yeah uh, yeah we've seen this story before you know 
It's Matthew Rose. And I to be fair, fair play to him for turning it around. Fair play to Warburton as well. But on the evidence of two seasons, this is where I get boring and pragmatic about it. There's players that you love to sign, but you know they're not going to be available for, you know, two-thirds of the games. Or, or Matthew Rose was a classic example. He'd give you 25, 30 games a season out of 46. So, therefore, his wages, you know, should be two-thirds of someone else who's available Steve Palmer style 100% of the time. Doesn't always work that way, but, you know, it needs to be factored in. So, I'd look at Wallace and I'd say, now, I like his versatility as well. I like his form, but it's come through hunger. So, the only way he gets to stay under my regime would be a pay-as-you-play deal. Um, and then you earn it, frankly. You're old. You've, you've, um, why was he not already on a shorter-term deal when... He hadn't. He had missed two years, like you say, Clive, in the first place. That actually, you look, you take a step back at that, and you say, shouldn't he have been on that in the first place? And would we have seen these performances earlier if he was? You know, I'd be reasonably. I, I think we would have done. So, well done. You've earned a contract, but it's pay as you play. I don't even come to London. He'd go back to Scotland, wouldn't he? If you, I think, if that yeah. was the offer, he'd get he'd get a deal in Scotland. But there's bound to be wing backs, lower league, the young, the hungry that we can get. On similar money that was just going to be. I mean, do you remember years ago? I mean, this is show me age again when you know you'd Bobby Golden Don Don High and they went off and got Brevet, Tinsel, and Peacock in one week when everyone said, Oh, there's no players about, we're struggling, we're, we're right banging it. Mm. But the trouble is, everyone is so desperate for players that a lot of even look at Forrest and the ilk, the record is stacking players left, right, and center, and it's so hard to. To, to get above that and the scope network and everything else, it's just, it must be bloody murder right there. They're, they're the exception though, Forrest. Mm. I mean, you look at it and you see, did, I mean, we should probably talk about Bournemouth's accounts, um, being the <laughs> that nerd I am, but it, I don't know if anyone saw it, but like, there are many chickens coming home to roost right now on the South Coast. And, you know, you, there's a lot of clubs post COVID, and, and we need to give the club credit to be fair. You know, we're in a better state than most, thanks to the Ezzy money. We're still losing money and our owners are still supporting us, which, again, they deserve credit for sticking around and dealing with their own mess when not every owner does that. And also the club deserve credit because we're outperforming our budget. We're a bottom five budget these days in the league. And as I look at the table now, we're 12th and we'd all take that. So, you know, frankly, in football, getting the position in that you put in in terms of wages is decent. You know, that's what Arsene Wenger did for years at Arsenal and he was derided for it. But actually, the amount of charlatans that are out there spending way more money than they achieve in their league position, doing a lot better than what we're putting in, I think is a great achievement, as well as, apart from Carroll and, and Amos, which aren't the kind of injuries you can do a lot about. Um, a lot of credit to, to the medical team for the availability in this random season. You know, when have we been able to say, A, our team is fit, B, it's managed well, and C, they've done injury prevention really well? I mean, I don't want to jinx it now, but, you know, we have, apart from, we've had remarkably few injuries given the schedule, don't you think? Yeah, I think that's coming out now. Was it, was it uh, got mentioned, Les Ferdinand mentioned the doctor at the fans forum, which we are going to come on to. I'll wrap, I'll wrap Reading up uh, shortly once I've uh, gone to other poll for final thoughts on that. But Amos and Carroll, which are, you know, long-termers. And we lost Wallace, who's basically never been fit since he's been here in Kake for a little while. But otherwise, we've had four injuries all year and one COVID test, which I think was Lyndon Dykes had come into contact with somebody. I just... That's remarkable. And I've been, I write the team news every week for the opposition. 
when we've been playing Stoke, Blackburn, teams like this this year, they've had 13, 14 players on their injury list because the fixtures are so ridiculous this year. Um, and I think often, I, I'm guilty of this as, as anybody is, you look at Warburton's substitutions and think, what the fuck is he doing? Why is that? Why are they going off? Why? And it's all, as he's been saying over the past few weeks, it's all, they've got the data in front of them. They can see that this and this and this is happening to this player. So whether you want him to come off or not, you're taking him off. And uh, it has uh, it has worked for them. For, uh, other Paul, final thoughts on on Lee Wallace, Reading. Anything else to add? Yeah, I think I agree exactly. I was going to say exactly what you said about the sort of the, the frustration with Warburton sort of taking off the substitutions. Um, I think I absolutely agree that it it possibly has helped us long term, even though it's very frustrating in the short term. Um, I think with with Reading, I was it was really good to see Dykes get a goal. And I really hope he goes on from here. I think if, if we don't have Charlie Austin next year, we need to have him playing well and and have having had that season in the championship, get himself together. And I think he is a player that going forward we could could make us quite proud. And I really hope that we um can or he can build on that goal last week or just over last yeah. week. Really it was great to see him. how happy Austin yeah. was for Absolutely. him. Um and actually played well against Millwall in the week for a player that was obviously on, mm. must have been on rock bottom confidence. Yep. Two great performances at, at Millwall and, and Reading to um, to finish up with. Can I just add something, by the way, Clive? Yeah. I think Device has been brilliant, by the way. And I didn't know what to expect. It was a signing in the dark. A lot of Hull fans absolutely caned him. A lot praised mm. him. I think he is brilliant so far. I hope I haven't jinxed that. Nelly turns into the worst seller <laughs> ever. But well, um, he, might, I, I, he might be injured again because he went. He did go off at Reading, and him going off yeah. actually coincided with them having a good spell in it. That and Ijaria just going unplayable for fifteen minutes. Uh, but yeah, hands up. I thought Device was crap, and I think I said as much. Uh, didn't like the signing at all, but he's looked looked very uh, very impressive so far. And I think I think that one's basically done for the summer. So as long as he fitness an issue, maybe got injured again at Reading and. Has been injured already. I think he's the sort of player that's going to come in and out of fitness quite a lot. He's sort of look being such a big guy and things. He will go in and out of fitness, and we'll have some really good patches with him. And maybe he'll be quite prone to injury. He's a bit of a tart ball. Is that what you're saying? Basically, I wouldn't turn that. I was going to say. Well, you can tell uh, him. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'll leave that to you too. <laughs> that can be the title of the uh, our devices of tart says Paul Moorcroft with his uh, address <laughs> in the postcode <laughs> we're at Coventry uh, fans forum then but these are always fun Jim freeze of, of, of past fans forums Harold Winton waving papers around and uh, and, and all sorts of, uh, of fun and games like that. T- t- tell us about it God rest Harold I mean God, God of them mad days they've the, the um <laughs> You're talking about the Paladini ones, which were the books in seeing. I mean, were you were you there then, Jim? You, you no, must have gone. Left. You'd gone, I'd, didn't you? I'd, you should have stayed I, uh, for them. Yeah. You'd have been got... the four year plan, you'd have been pulling your hair out. <laughs> well, like, all the people that I worked with were still there by that point. So that was a brilliant watch for me, you know. Scary. Like Scary. Phil and Billy trying to skulk off camera and yeah, it was I think it's called leg it. I think the fans form, I always think it's a missed opportunity. He kind of like, I mean, Lee Hughes turned up, obviously not expecting to be asked many questions because he, he looks like I do at the floor market at three o'clock in the morning. <laughs> and um, he, he can. What was? Can we just? I mean, none of us look great. Let's let's put it out there. You know, glass houses and whatever. But he, he looked like he had a bad fall at the YMCA. Is he all right? 
I think he's had a bad year personally and and and, and stuff going on. But what he says, if you read your lines, he's always having a bit of a hard time. But um, you know, lockdown isn't kind to some of us. I I hope that happens. <laughs> none of us. None of us. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it's but he did look like he kind of wandered in from the street and he'd been dragged up and said, "Look, you could you could pretend to be a CEO for five minutes to see how you get on." And it was only when um, one question was asked that you thought, ah, that is definitely Lee Hughes because he sort of became Lee Hughes. But it's always a missed opportunity because you've got Les there and you've got the, um, Warburton there. And it's, it's just a shame we don't address more questions to them. Um, I feel kind of sorry for them too sometimes because they must have come with a lot to say and expect a lot of questions. And in the end, it's like, well, can we have free shirts? Can we do this? Can we sign this? Can we do that? Can we do the other? Rather than just saying, right, what do you actually think we can do next season? What is the ambition? Who is doing the scouting? What is our transfer plus and minus as we stand now from where we were a few years ago? So fans can see on and off the pitch where we're going. So that's a shame. I'd like more of them questions. But yeah, at least nobody can ask about the toilets because no one's been there. Really not uh, think that that is a timing thing. I put in my report on this that had this forum been held in the second week of January when we hadn't won for 10 games. Oh, can you imagine? Uh, we just got booted out, the, booted out of the FA Cup by Fulham. I think basically all of the questions in that situation would have been to Les and to Mark about the team and the signings and the recruitment. But because it's done now, we've won nine, what, nine out of 13 all the questions are please don't leave us, Mark. The only questions Mark Warburton really got were please don't leave us. Everybody leaves us, Mark. You know, please stay, Dan. Whereas three months ago, Warburton would have been getting absolute pelters in that. I mean, three months ago, I was hearing that Joey Barton was a good uh, alternative for his new gigs going well, by the way. Maybe I'll do that to my hours end. But um, so, but do you know what? Look, do you know what, Clive? Look, with fans form, is, it's like. You know, people, let's face it, people already have the things. I'm sure whoever puts out same old faces, same old questions, was standing there by the keyboard and had to delete same old faces because nobody was there. So that's the first one out of the way. But it is a lot of missed opportunities because there's a lot of good questions to ask. And I think with Les and Lee and Mark, you will get honest answers, which hasn't always been the case at these fans' forums. And I think it's just sometimes opportunities missed. Not that I would do any better myself if I sent any questions in because I can't spell and God knows what they'd ask. But, yeah, sometimes a little bit of missed opportunity, but positive, as in, as you're right, January, it'd be like, Mark, there's a door when you're leaving. It does make me laugh when they get, uh, when you're asking the chief executive of the company really base level ICT questions about single sign-on on the website. I mean, that is work experience uh, on the IT uh, on the IT desk. For Some of the questions you mentioned there, like profit and loss in transfers and whatever, I just, I can already hear Lee Hughes' answer to that had it been asked. He's not going to tell you because he doesn't want people to know Mm. What we've got to spend and things like that. Jim, what did uh, what did you make of it and fall out from it? I think the sheer fact that it's happening shows that we are functioning at a very good level because when it doesn't, it's just it's a bit like the canary in the coal mine that says this club is dysfunctional. So good that it happens. Um, if you think it's possible to time a fans forum well and guarantee it, the level of planning that goes into these, in my experience, it was impossible to choose a good moment for it. But we used to just then, like we did three or four a year, um, some with the manager there, some without. And, and I think the more you do these, uh, the easier they get. And, and we always, well, at the time we had a media deal with BBC London and they'd go out. And I always felt the next game, if we were on a bad run, it kind of lanced the boil and it let everyone have their say. If we're on a good run, it reinforced it. 
And, you know, we started doing the fans forums again when we were in administration and really pretty desperate that year. We started with seven players, I think was when we started it again. So, you know, I don't think you can time them. I think it's a good time they're taking place. The actual content of it, um, you can predict it if you pay attention. I, I have to confess I rely mainly on your write-ups these days because I have just done too many fans forums in my life. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I'm grateful for your write-ups. But, and I, you know, I think, I, again, without sounding like a sort of being in the pocket of the club, I mean, obviously, I've got to maintain my free season ticket by getting them good PR. I don't get a free season ticket, just to say. Um, although Finney always gets invited to the fans' forums, I've noticed. I never get an invite. But I, never, I never get invited. Uh, I, 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 I'm, I'm not there. And I'm not even there for you to buy me not a pint. Um, but, uh, I would buy you two, Jim. <laughs> I would buy you two. You have bought me a pint, in fairness. I, I owe you that. On, on the walk one year, you did technically buy me a pint. Um, right, I mugged you the way back. It was me in the alleyway. <laughs> but yeah, so I, look, I think they're really good. I think they give good, honest answers. Um, yes, I wish they were more productive, but I think we just probably need a few more of them, perhaps. A bit more regular. Some without the manager to get rid of all the off-the-field stuff. Because as Phil Beard ably showed, if you don't respond and do the basics, it will bite you on the bottom. Uh, that was one of my favourites. The day that uh, Phil Beard hadn't responded to anybody's email for 18 months. So everybody that sent him an email turned up to the fans forum with it. I mean, absolute kudos to everybody that did that. That, that was a three hour spectacle. I don't think any of us, particularly Phil Beard, will ever forget. Paul, what did you, uh, what were your uh, big takeaways? Well, Phil Beard was actually on Re um, BBC Radio 5 today and was described as QPR chief executive when he was introduced. Um, and he, had, I think he had to very quickly explain that he, he had left that position. Um, we're playing a club this weekend that, that you know, the owners, Sisu, are, as, you know, are, are never to be seen. You know, they're more elusive than Banksy or a Yeti. And whereas we have got people who actually will listen to us, will, will you know, even if, and, and will be generally quite honest with us, um, even if I think they play their cards too close to their chest sometimes and a, and a bit too negative, because they don't want us to go down the sort of hole we went in a few years ago where we're throwing money at everything. They want us to, they want to sort of show that we're not going to just throw money at things. Um, I would, as I said earlier on, like a little bit more sort of motivation to, to, to want to, for maybe other fans that are thinking, you know, do I want to go back to watching football in the future or do I want to keep streaming it to really get back into the stadium and see players like Eze and others coming through. And I think, although they talk a lot about youth, we, we do need that bit of motivation and sometimes it, it does come across a little bit too negative. But overall, as you said earlier, we've, there's so many clubs that, that don't even know who their chairman is, don't know their chief executive, don't know the director of football. We're actually hearing from them and, and actually getting them some proper answers from some who come across decent people. And I think that's really important. Let's uh, rattle through a couple of questions that I've got in front of me here. Would we like to, do we think we should hear from at all? I was going to say more from, but at all from Ruben, bless me, trying to this surname. But okay, thank you, Jim. The <laughs> actual majority owner of the club. Um, I mean, I'm not in a rush after Gianni, Flavio and uh, Tony Fernandez to uh, to have another gobby owner. But I mean, are we just going to say that Lee Hughes and Les Ferdinand run the club day to day? So that's who we need to hear from. Or do we, should we be hearing more from the person that actually now is the majority owner is you know, he's funding the thing. I don't think you're going to hear from him because I don't think he does that. 
I don't think he's he's very much a, a guy who will sit in the background and watch things go on. And um, obviously with Austin and that, they, they keep, well, if you believe what you hear from Charlie, it was Tony and Ruben that did the Austin deal, blah, blah, blah. So I, I don't think he's a PR person, as in he's going to put himself out there because he's probably seen what's happened. The other people have done that and, you know, maybe he doesn't want to have that thing. By the way, just going back to um, the Hughes, it did remind me of Eddie Murphy in Trading Places. <laughs> Just, just, yeah. just kids me there. But yeah, I don't think so. It'd be nice to see Amit though as well a few more times. You know, he's a chairman. Well, you see, um, I think I think Amit was just put in a in a figurehead role to take the social media heat off Tony Fernandez. So I think you, I'm quite happy with Lee and Les. If it's going to be anybody else, it's got to but be which, Ruben. What, but what, what what could we possibly ask Ruben about <laughs> that? You're going to put him in there and you're hoping it's going to be a decent question. I'm, not, I'm saying this myself. I'd probably ask a really stupid question. So, you know, maybe he doesn't want to put himself in front of that and say the wrong thing and then find that he's got 75,000 trolls on Twitter all of a sudden. Who knows? I would ask him what this single sign-on thing is all about on the official website. That's the, the, the key issue for me. Jim, what, what do you think of the, the owner, like basically the owner of the club? We never, never see or hear from him. Do you, do you give a shit? It's a really interesting question. Because in, in principle, we should. Um, there should be accountability at every level. But then again, you, you take the step back and you say, what would it achieve? And frankly, as long as he keeps writing the checks to support the club and own his own mistakes and him as Tony, him and Tony's mistakes, he's got the right to, as long as the people are accountable at the club, he doesn't have to appear if that's what he doesn't want to do. And he clearly doesn't. So I'm slightly torn, I'll be honest. You know, you've got to respect his right not to appear, albeit... It's not ideal that we don't know who he is and he hasn't got a great relationship with the fans. But equally, I don't think he's pretending to be anything he's not. So, yeah, I think he's sort of earned the right, as long as he signs the checks, to not appear. Um, but mm. as long as the club is still accountable, well, fair enough. Lee Hughes makes this point regularly that without them, still without them, even after all the cost cutting, without them signing a check for at the last set of accounts somewhere in the region of £850,000 a month, the, the club doesn't exist in its current form. And I don't want to jeopardise that, so I'm not going to force him to appear in front of us <laughs> and have us ruin it. So probably not on balance. <laughs> and I think it's nice to have a bit of a medium ground as well. Sort of, we've had times when we've been chanting against um, chairman, we've had times where we've been singing their names and standing on the, pin, yeah. on, on the pitch, really sort of sh shouting and doing chanting and things like that about the chairman. And actually, it's quite nice to have someone that we know who it is, we know what they're doing, but we've actually got the people in the right roles who we can actually talk to and things like that, rather than the sort of up and down relationship we've had over many years with different chairmen. New stage. Sorry, Finn, go on. Sorry, I think Jim said it brilliantly. Accountability for the club is more important than hearing from people I think that's that's true in some ways but it would be nice if we got a bit to know maybe do a David Rubin what do you think Clive you know you could do it then you could get accused of having a free season ticket and I'll come with you and I can get accused as well you know what everybody that sits around me in F block wishes to God that I had a free season ticket in the C club they would absolutely love it you could ask you know every what, single Clive, one of them I mean, they wish I was in I'm in G block and I wish you a free season ticket. In C exactly. Block. Yeah. So get, like, that is living proof. New stadium. Um, this honestly just feels miles and miles and miles and miles off to me. I'd, I'd be willing to place a bet now that QPR has slurped off this road as long as I, as long as I'm alive. Um, I don't know whether that says more about my lifestyle choices, um, but Lee seemed pretty resigned and very much very uh, conciliatory and non-aggressive on this 
compared to maybe his previous comments. Basically, it's all in the council's court. It's been held up by COVID. We obviously want to be there. It's a disaster if we stay. It's a disaster if something gets put there and it's not us. He seemed sort of quite downbeat. And where where did we land on the new stadium thing coming out of that? Jim, can I ask you a question? Yes. Um, um, was there ever um, a survey done on Loftus Road that could be extended, increased, moved around, played around with, that would work? Or is, or is this it? We can't do anything with it. Uh, before the school was redeveloped, there were some architect's plans that were mocked up of an enhanced school end. But it would have been crew-esque in the sense that that main stand at crew, which dwarfs all the other ones, it would have been... It, it would have been four times the size of Ellerslie Road and just, it would have looked really, really, really weird. Um, and even then, as Lee often says, and he's right about this, um, it wouldn't drive the day in, day out usage that would help just redeveloping one stand at Loftus Road. It wouldn't drive the day in, day out usage that you need, you know. And in many ways, we kind of, we were 40 years ahead of our time with Jim Gregory and AstroTurf because you know, that really did, they, they always call it like sweating the asset and but basically getting something better used. And there was pop concerts, there was um, boxing, famously, you know, there were other loads of other events at the stadium and loads of community usage as well, which is brilliant. You know, like my, mm. my I'm still bitter about this. My sister got to play on the pitch with Gary Bannister and John Byrne. And then the no. year that I was meant to be going to that pitch day, it didn't bloody happen, did it? So I never got to meet them. Um, but uh, still bearing a grudge. Uh, so, you know, the stuff that we need to do, it's not possible anymore with the houses around Loftus Road having been sold, I think, when Gregory sold to Marla in or his estate or whatever in 87. When we lost the houses, I think we lost the ability to redevelop Loftus Road. Oh, OK, then. Like car parks and, and, you know, we, we haven't got the car parking facilities. We haven't got a lot of the hospitality facilities and things like that. And even if we built on one of the stands, it's just not going to solve the problem because, you know, think of other clubs, it, it might sound like a small amount, but if they've got several thousand car, car parking space each match, that's adding 10 person on, 10 yeah. pound a person who's car parking in that car park, et cetera, et cetera. We, it, Loftus Road doesn't give us that space. It's going to pay, pain me when we go, especially living near a place like the Rico, knowing what that's like and how that's changed a lot of um, sort of Coventry fans from what was a lovely ground at Highfield Road. I would like to stay at Loftus Road forever, but I, going forward, I really think we need to be looking at somewhere that's more sort of purpose-built and, as you say, has that um, multi-purpose. But I do think it's a long way off, and I think Lee Hughes is just getting more and more frustrated with every time having to give the same sort of answers and the same sort of going away from the subject when he really wants to be building it forward and knows that how much he's being held back by other people and other organisations. Do the trouble is, sorry. do you think he's defeatist with it? Um, and I'm, I'm literally Realist? playing devil's. I'm literally playing devil's advocate here because I don't. I, I agree with him, and I, I completely understand the situation. But let me. Do you think he's being defeatist? He basically paints a picture that QPR at Loftus Road is just not a going concern. It's basically dead in the water for as long as we stay here. I personally think we're going to be there at least ten years and probably mm. more. I'd say fifteen. So is he, is he being defeatist or is he just painting this picture to try and put pressure on people like Hammersmith and Fulham Borough Count saying, look, help us out here because we are in a, in a bind here. But where could you go? I mean, Clive, even if we get 
the plot of land we're after, Linford Christie, there's no guarantee we're parking. There's no guarantee of of corporate or anything like that because you're still within the London area. You're still going to have traffic issues. You've still got a small tube station. It's the area we're in. Our biggest problem is we're not a Coventry. We're not a Sheffield. We're not a one or two club town. You know, we're, we share a borough with three other flipping teams, for God's sake. You know, it's Hammersmith County have got three football teams to deal with. You know, well, yeah, hang on. Kensington and Chelsea. No, but you know what I mean? So Fulham and, and Rangers, and it's it's tricky. Plus, the council, for whatever reason, don't like us. I'm convinced of it because Fulham seem to get whatever they want and we don't. Now, whether that's because we have pissed them off before, I don't know. I mean, you remember back to the when we were going to buy the car giant thing and everything else, we were even in the plans we put bits of land in that didn't actually weren't even for sale and stuff. So it was a little bit amateur. So I'm wondering if we're still suffering from that. But I think with the Hughes, if we don't get Linford Christie, the next thing we'll, we know we'll be moving down the M40 corridor if we are going to get another ground because there's just no space in West London. I mean, I remember saying this, funny enough, Jim, I remember saying this to, because um, I'm old, to Davis and Blackburn, and they were saying there's nowhere to build, and up pops Westfield, and up pops this, and up pops that. But then places, there's very, you're so limited in West London now for space. There's, there's nowhere in that W12 area I can think of, unless I'm wrong. Um, what you could build on, so apart from Linford Christie, so I think it's either Linford Christie or we're going to be down the M40 corridor. Yeah, or if there is land, it's going to be more valuable as either flats or offices or whatever, um, not as a stadium. So I think, look, I, Clive, I think he's being a, a pragmatist. It's not in our hands and we have to accept mm. that, but we have to think about what we can do as a club and as fans to influence the process. So, you know, how do we, how do we get to the right people? Um, and I think it's a hell of an opportunity at that site to build the right thing for us. And don't forget, you know, a few years ago that there was Earl's Court and Earl's Court sustained a massive, massive amount of business and conferences and exhibitions. There is nothing west of the centre of London to cater for big things. like that. Olympia still exists, but it's got its own issues and is being redeveloped on its own as well. But if you could replace Earl's Court within a stadium, which you can easily do in design functions, it's stuff that is, is pretty simple to do and have that you're not going to get car parking to Paul's earlier point but you don't want to get car parking anymore it's not the thing and you don't make loads of money from it anyway and we don't want to be encouraging cars but there's lots you could do on that site if it was going to work but, but, sure. but I prefer live for Christie don't you three think because it is W12 it is our manor it is our area and the council always at least have negotiations about it surely but we can move forward yeah. and get the fans behind it and you're going to be an hour. You're going to be like five minute walk and a travelator from HS2 if you can ever build it. Um, you know, that puts Birmingham, Manchester within an hour and a half. You know, it's the best mm. place in the country to have an exhibition centre and a, and a stadium that can host other events. So it's a hell of a prized asset. But that is also why a lot of other people are interested in it before you even get to the barriers of residence and all the land use around Wormwood Scrubs being packaged up into its own land. It's definitely a long-term game the club are doing the right stuff if lee's a bit pragmatic about it great because we've only ever pissed people off when we've talked about land before whether it's car giant who went from being our shirt sponsor to hating us so how does that work how do how do we how do we screw that up so badly that they used to give us money and then they wanted us dead you know well done us <laughs> um but we you just that there that is the future unless something else changes whether I don't know, the Latimer playing fields near the ground, you know, there's a big chunk of land there, but will it ever be redesignated by the council? Who knows? So there might be opportunities in the borough, but it's unlikely. But I think Lee's point that we need 
we either exist at Loftus Road with a vastly reduced budget and we try and be Rotherham or Wickham, you know, with not much matched income and we cut our cloth accordingly and we accept we're a historically League One slash championship club and yo-yo between the two. Well, if we want to be more than that, then we need a new stadium and we need it to be smart and clever and go out and get it. So those are the two choices. It's within Hammersmith and Fulham's gift and I hope we get a bit smarter about working them and we as fans can help with that. And there'd be, there's loads we could do with that. But equally, that site of land, if it comes up, is so valuable. And there's so few opportunities to redevelop land in London that it's going to attract a huge premium and it's going to be hard to get. And to be fair, you know, we might not think the world of Brentford's new stadium, but they've shown at least tremendous resolve in getting a new stadium built in London, which is not an easy thing, as mm. Crystal Palace have shown, as Fulham have shown with various attempts to redevelop the cottage, as Spurs showed, as Arsenal showed, and as everyone has West Ham showed until one was presented in their lap to them. You know, it's hard to build in London a new stadium. So yeah, it's going to be a long time coming. Can I have one sorry, I could talk about this all night. I want to add one point. If we are building towards a new stadium, why the hell are we not developing the fan base more? You know, because that's the one thing we should be doing is selling out Loftus Road and growing the fan base in preparation for a move so that when we move, we're going from 18,000 sellouts to 30,000 sellouts, not from 12,000 to 25. You know, that's the one bit that is missing at the club at the minute is actively pricing the stadium and marketing the stadium to grow the fan base. And as someone who used to do that, it really pisses me off that we're not doing more of that. It was interesting right. because the fans form. Sorry, Clive, again, I'm cutting into you. I do apologise. Sorry, last time I do it, I promise I will hold my finger up. I've been told. Um, that Lee Hughes actually said, where we've got to market ourselves cleverly is be different from the other clubs that you can meet QPR players. The, our community project is better. Um, we're out in the boat. But we could also do with advertise ourselves more in the borough and also in the area. I mean, you know, there's not even any directions to Loftus Road. At least we always say it needs to be a a sign saying QPR with a big arrow that way sort of thing and we're not even doing that we need to massively make Shepherd's Bush our home and promote ourselves more I mean remember a couple of, we've had Fulham posters up there we've had Chelsea posters up there we've had all this kind of thing and meanwhile we're just hoping that people stumble into us and stay with us and don't walk away we've got to be active in the community more we've got to be active and get any out there and we've got to fill that ground because without filling that ground the clients will always go well you've got 12,000 here what are you talking about yeah, I agree. Well said. Um, so, Jim, I'm going to ask you. I'm going to ask you how, first of all, and um, also to Paul's point. While we accept the need to constantly be selling and reinvesting in players, it, is it not difficult to build up, particularly a young fan base, when so as soon as somebody like Eze or DN comes along, the immediate attitude from us at the moment is how much money can we? How much money can we get? That's not going to appeal to an eight-year-old, is it? Again, I'm playing devil's advocate because I, I see that why that Eze has to be sold and Dieng's going to have to be sold. And when you reinvest, you actually get better. I, I get it. But taking it from a, a developing the support point of view, and I think there was a long question in the forum um, from a guy who basically uh, said, we're, we're treading water. We just aspire to get any player we get, we sell. Um, I think he's, he said treading water financially and Lee who said we aspire to tread water, which yeah, is uh, a, a quote which he's going to uh, probably get beaten over the head with. But he, he is right. But did, when it comes to developing a support base, like I say, how and can you do that while still every time we get a good player now, he's gone? Yeah, you can. Um, you just got to work within what you've got. Um, we had... 
And I'm only saying this from experience. We have, and I, I've got an eight-year-old who, who I successfully have got into QPR, and we went to a game, and, and he was into it. It's broken the habit though, lockdown, and I stupidly mm. took him to uh, one of the two games. I think it was the Stoke game. Was it Stoke? The second Poor game. Boy. Poor boy. Oh, yeah. I mean, he's so bored. Um, and then he was like, "Yeah, going to QPR is not that much fun, Daddy." And you're like. <laughs> No, no, it's not, you know. <laughs> so that was silly of me. But um, to answer your question, yes, you can do stuff. There's loads you can do. Like when my marketing budget went for Paul Furlong, um, th- there was a reason the following season, having been relegated and in administration, we started with the campaign of Real Fans, Real Football. You know, mm. we started a little bit before, but <laughs> we did. everyone hated the players, so we had to use the fans as the stars of it, basically. <laughs> we'd, we'd just been relegated. We only had seven players anyway. Um, so we, it was a lot of thinking just like, well, sod it, let's make the fans the star of this. And there was a, so, there was so much, um, the, the club was so distant from the fans when I joined. There was a real sort of, uh, it didn't feel like we were together at all. And so the idea was let's make our fans the stars of it, put them on the posters and let's just start building a bit of togetherness again. Um, and, and it was a nice bit of marketing. It was a good strap line. There were some great people on there like, you know, a guy I knew, I grew up playing in, in and around Wendell Park in West London. And there was a lad I used to play football against in the park. who was a season ticket holder called Colin, who was a postman. So we had Colin, the postie will be delivering your season ticket soon. Things like that. We got, you know, a good diverse bunch of people from different bits of London who looked all a bit different as well. And we just wanted people to see themselves on a big poster and say, you know, we, we at least get you. We might be shit, but we're trying, you know, it's kind of like we're getting their slogans. Um, so, and that underpinned a lot of the stuff we could do. So we didn't have a massive marketing budget at the time, but we did do lots of promotions and lots of word of mouth. So you'll remember there were, A, the season tickets were priced so that when there was a 10 quid promotion or five pounds, you know, it didn't completely undermine the value of your season ticket. Mm. We did do member get member schemes all the time to, to encourage word of mouth. Because if you think about it, you're not going to get someone to just randomly come and be a QPR fan from a bit of marketing and ad in a paper. It just the journey from that point to getting a season ticket is quite long for most people. So you need to use your members and your season ticket holders to bring in, and we're all bringing mates along every once in a while, you know? So it, the idea was let's try and make that a natural process and let's reward people for doing it. So you could get your season ticket for free. If five people that you go to the match with hadn't previously had a season ticket, it's okay if they're members, that's fine. Um, but you could then get your season ticket free and people did. And the box office were like, Oh, there's going to be loads of people, you know, defrauding us who get their ticket for free. And I'm like, I want people to get their ticket for free. And do you know what? If the odd person defrauds us, the chances are the cost of that is far less. So in terms of, in marketing terms, your acquisition of the customer, it's far less than what I'm going to have to spend on like print ads every week to encourage people to come down and all the other stuff that goes with it. If I get a few season ticket holders out of this, yeah, okay, if there's a bit of fraud, fine. You know, I'll live with it. But that, that, so we did loads of that and it worked. The year before I joined, we had 3,000, and I'm not taking sole credit for this. There was a huge team effort, but we had 3,900 season ticket holders. And the year after we were promoted, which was, we were promoted the year after I left, we ended up with something like 12,500. And had we actually then priced it sensibly, it, it, you only have to get to 14,000 tickets sold at Loftus Road to regularly get sellouts for boring games. Because by the time you factor in away fans, 
segregation and even, okay, make the lower tier in the school end available occasionally. If you get to 14,000, it sells out on its own. At that point, you could start raising prices, but we didn't. We, we missed the opportunity. We jacked up the prices then. We never got to 14. And we're, here we are today where everyone thinks we have a resting fan base of 10,000, which is just not the case. So you do everything right so that when you get some success, you really capitalise on it. This is what I mean about the, um, is it, are we being defeatist about, well, we can't make Loftus Road work, we're screwed as long as we're here. It does, I'm, and that's why I asked, is he just saying that because he wants to put pressure on the council or, or does he really believe it? And it, it feels like you think we could be doing some more. I think we could, yeah. I think, although I don't think we're going to get loads of money in year one from it. I just think that you, if you say, if we get the same money from season ticket income and gate money from match days, but we're bringing more people into the ground, then that's got to be a result because the only thing that guarantees you long-term success in football is the size of your fan base. You yeah. know, that's the only thing. It's not anything you can, yeah, you might do a Leicester and massively outperform where you're at, but that's the, that's Soconomics. There's books about this that say it's your fan base that dictates it. Paul, sorry, you want to come in? Paul, I just want to answer the question. Um, of, of yourself, Jim, that, um, you know, when Lee Hughes talks about it, he talks about, you know, not giving away free tickets, that it just devalues it. And and we've seen that with, with clubs, well, certain clubs like, like Wasps in, in the past and a lot of things they've done and other football clubs that have given away sort of free things and it sort of devalues that. Do you think uh, Do you think he's got a point there or do you think it is just so important to get people through the, through the doors? No, he's entirely correct about free tickets because it really devalues what you're doing. Um, you, you, as a rule of thumb, you get about 50% of the people actually turn up who you, who you give away free tickets to. That being said, I think there's an exception to that rule, and that is when a kid is seven or eight. And Bristol Sport are doing a really clever thing whereby they give away free match tickets and they give away a shirt to every child in the Bristol area at some point between seven and eight gets a free shirt and a free match ticket to both the rugby and the football. And that is a really smart way of building a new generation of fans. So my school, John Betts, used to get the odd free ticket. And that did get, there's still people in the ground like me who started going to Loftus Road on the school free tickets. So I, I'd say that's the exception. But in general, you don't want to give it away free. You want people to pay something. So when we did promotions, it was 10 quid a ticket these days. I think is reasonable. You know, we used to do five quid, but that was a lot. 20 years ago so I think people should pay something but what I do think you could do is reduce the price of season tickets generally and incentivize them more um, because it's not enough of a discount compared to you're asking people to turn up for 23 nights and and weekend events now committing to that upfront over a year oh no oh by the way we're going to move them around at six weeks notice and if you can't make it tough and technically within the terms and conditions you're not even meant to transfer it it's a really shoddy deal and when I did, we did loads of research. I think I've talked about this on the pod a few years back, but we did research that said on average season ticket holders come to about 15 plus games a year. So do the discount at 15 games, because, you know, if you've got kids, you're going to miss a few games. If you go abroad with work, you're going to miss games. If you go to see your family at Christmas, you're not there on Boxing Day. So why should you be paying for that game? So our, our discounts on season tickets are really stingy. We should We should incentivize them a lot more and then we should, you try and get the same money from more people. And I found a season ticket holder in 2001 was worth on average £258 a season more to us than someone who's a member. Why? Because they've already paid their money. So when they come on game day, they're going to buy a programme. They're going to buy more food and drink because they've got money in their pocket. You know, And we all work to budgets. And if your money's a sunk cost on a season ticket back in 
whenever, May last year, you're going to have more money to spend on a match day. So we needed to see that number in action. And our merch sales were better the more season ticket holders we had. So it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy and, and circle that gets better and better. So, you know, you need to start doing that. And I do think the club needs to start doing it. It really irritates me, but it's one that Dave McIntyre's right about again. Um, but he is Just right. Not, he will do that. Oh, he's such an obnoxious <laughs> so-and-so when he's right. But he is right that we need to be growing our fan base. And mm. we're not doing it. And it's the one thing I would fault the owners and club on right now strategically in that, you know, for the price of a fringe squad player, we could be developing the long-term future of the club. And I would far rather see us do without that one player in the squad who makes two appearances a year than, than not have a marketing plan. But then, Jim, it's, it's down to ambition as well. And sometimes, like, I, as we're talking, I'm thinking of a poster, we are QPR. And you have faces of the fans and the posters, not even necessarily the players. And you can put that around the area. And it makes, if people see themselves in the poster and this, that and the other, it makes them feel part of it. You don't have to be from W12 to support QPR. You just have to go to the game, blah, blah, blah. We can do all that. We can involve the fans. Just do you not remember the picture that was the vinyl that used to be on the gates at the lower loft, the pitch access gates as you go up the stairs, that literally yes. said, we are QPR with the picture of the fans on the pitch. And, and I put that in place years ago at the start. And I got really told off by the safety officer because he was like, you can't be endorsing fans being on the pitch. We're going to get fined. <laughs> <laughs> but well, you know what? It's a good idea because at the end of the day, we need to, we need to, I think after the premiership years and after a few seasons in the championship, the fan base does need, and Paul's right in this, it does need something to go in there and just light us up again and and, and be yeah. what we can be. Because we have, we have everyone says, it, you know, you, you meet Rangers fans, like we're having a chat now, it's supposed to be a half an hour flipping podcast, look where we're going. Sorry. And, and and you can sit down and, and you don't even, I, I was out the other week, did it? I've been at jobs at three o'clock in the morning in the West End and someone says to me, oh, your Rangers, blah, blah. And I'm sitting there at six o'clock in the morning, you have to wait to them. And by the way, I'm clearing work, I'm not walking around the streets for no reason. Um, and there's a bond there that you probably also don't get the Spurs, don't get the Chelsea, Fulham, whatever. Maybe Brentford, I don't know, because they're smaller. But, you know, and we have got unique bond. And we've got like a northern spirit for a London club. And the club just needs to embrace that more and put it out there more and bring more people in with it. Because if it's not about sending big players, if it's not about winning trophies, we've got to win hearts. That's got to be our strategy. And that will fill the Because what worries me, sorry, Paul, and I'll let you in in a second, sorry, mate, is the amount of people who come to Love the Road the first time who don't come back, that's a worry because that's a hell of a lot of people. I think, um, and a meeting that was at least you said it was over 80%. Now, that's people who have walked in randomly, mm. don't come back. Now, I, 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 I could have got that wrong. I apologise if I have, but that sticks in my head. That's a worry. I, yeah. I, I, yeah, I think that's a massive worry, and I'm surprised by that. Um, it always surprises me, though, you know, on when you look at other, especially like Facebook groups and things like that, when you hear other fans and they're saying about, they're always like, oh, it's a great day out at Loftus Road. We love coming here, but the atmosphere is a bit average. You can never hear the, the home fans. And I often think, I can't really, if I'm up in the upper loft or, or the R block, you can't hear much of the away fans as well. I don't know why noise doesn't travel around our stadium so well. And I wonder if that's sort of, because I know what Loftus Road is like when it's rocking. It's fantastic. And friends I've taken to, especially if you've been to big games, have absolutely loved it and thought the place was fantastic. And um, mm. and I'm surprised that, that people do go there and don't really want, want to come back again because it is such a nice place to go and such a... You're so close to the action, you know. 
you might have the odd pillar in the way, but it's a great place to go. But is that because people have got an image now of modern football stadiums being exactly the freaking same and because we're a bit Maybe. unique? Mm. You know what I mean? We are a bit quirky and we are a bit different. But I mean, that's that's random people, by the way. That's not people coming as friends. That's Mr. and Mrs. Smith or Mrs. and Mrs. Smith coming in off the yeah. street or going into the ground and not coming back again with no interest in QPR. Sorry, Jim. That's all right. No, I think there's a chance of Paul's point. There's three points. Away fans have often said that at Loftus Road. And I think part of it's the little lip that comes down the front of the stand because it reflects the sound back and stops it travelling out to the away fans. I think that's a factor. That being said, we've been pretty mediocre for quite some time since we came back down from the Premier League. When did we last have a season when we were really full and rocking? We haven't. So, yeah, it is a bit average at the minute and we need to do something about that. And whether it is having, you know, I would put safe standing in. That's something we should be doing. Man, Man City have just bloody announced it. Um, and I went to the club in 2012 with a presentation about it with facts from the Football Supporters Federation. Um, and like we used to have standing areas that were safe anyway and well designed. Wouldn't it wouldn't be that hard to do. Um, and that's another example where you could actually make the best of Loftus Road, improve the atmosphere, improve the capacity. And we could have been the club that trialed it in London so that the government can easily come and have a look. But we just, those little things are the bits that we're missing at the minute. And it's really frustrating. But I think, you know, it is a great atmosphere. You get 14,000 people in Loftus Road. It sounds like 30,000 people elsewhere. Ooh. We've just not finished top half of the championship and had a season that we're happy with and everyone's singing for quite a while. How many, how many songs do the current players have compared to, you know, players that were bang average in, in League One or, or you know, Div, Div Two as was, you know, Gino Padula still got more chance than most of our current players. <laughs> when you hear that, I mean, when you go to away matches, it's all the songs are about that, that era of players, isn't it? Yeah, you know, you, you know, the away game is going badly when they start singing about uh, Gino and uh, and and Akos and that. Uh, Do you know, sorry, like, great point though. The paddock, I would say, was ready for safe standing. Is ideal, if I'm being honest. The whole paddock. I would really miss all the scratches and bruises all over my legs, sir, if we did go to Stanley. Because, you know, I get to Loftus Road probably once a month and then I have about two weeks of limping around with cuts and bruises all over my legs. So, yeah. Uh, training ground sounds more optimistic. Uh, if you actually look on the, I think it's Hounslow. Is it Hounslow? Hounslow Council. Um, uh, Pre approved, full approval tomorrow, I think, 31st. Um, Brilliant. And the plans look look really good. Um, I mean, that, that really has become a believe it when you see it uh, uh, development. But but that would that would be a you couldn't fault them on that if they get that over the line, particularly in a pandemic. That's and um, a freehold, not a leasehold. If if that's all progressing in the direction it looks like, we're all nothing bad to say, right? I think it's the first time, Jim, correct me if I'm wrong, that we've ever had our own training ground. You're wrong. Uh, yes. We had That's it at Twyford Avenue. I'm shocked. I can't believe it. Hang on, did Twyford Avenue, did we actually own that, though, full stock and barrel freehold? Yeah, but Chris Wright came away with it after the administration, yes, and he used money from a builder to own it, and he still owns it to this day, I believe. All right, plans, okay. look, plans for the new one look really good if you go on the Hounslow Council. I think there's a link on our message board. Um, looks really swish, the building they've got planned there. And like I say, I think from what I, if I've understood the council, it took me back to my local newspaper days, there's some council planning meetings till two in the morning. But uh, oh, I think it's uh, pre-approval and rubber stamp tomorrow. So can't wait to find some great crested newt in the, in the morning that's taken up residence <laughs> there or 
or something like that. Um, the other thing yeah. I wanted to say about the fans. Okay, two more things about the fans forum. Then we really, we really will have to move on because we'll be here all night. Um, do you think they're a little bit guilty of answering the questions as if they all come from one supporter? And uh, that supporter, if if they did all come from one supporter, that would be mad because one question says, "Do we get our shirts for free this year because we didn't get to wear them at the match?" And the next question says you must sign all the loan players on permanent deals immediately. And Lee Hughes just sits there and goes, well, you want free shirts, you want this, but you also want that. Do you think they're a little bit guilty of answering the questions as if they all come from one person? And in my write-up, perhaps I'm guilty of the same thing. Oh, that's a very good question, Clive. Jim? <laughs> yeah, I've I do. I've silenced Finney. I've no. silenced Finney. We should move on. I've done it. <laughs> I, yeah, I think, you're I right. Think, and, I, and actually, I, I, oh, sorry, you've picked up on a really good point, which is that um, a fan base is an aggregation of thousands of voices, isn't it? And you, you should never pretend that it speaks with one. And we're all very different people, you know. Um, so, and I think that's really important to understand. And yes, some of us more gobby than others, but, um, you know, I, they, they need to understand the, the diversity of views. And it's not readily apparent that they always do. And it used to be a bugbear of mine. I think at a club, you need a good mix of fans of a club. You need a good mix of fans of other clubs. And you need some people who are just not fans at all. So that when you have a bad result on Monday morning and the fans are suicidal and the fans of other clubs understand it, then there's some people who aren't. Um, and I think they generally got that. But I, it does feel sometimes that um, certainly, I mean, I can understand why Lee Hughes is frustrated. But um, yeah, I think you've got to understand that you're speaking to one person sometimes and you know, even that person could be having a bad day. And I always tried to get people to understand that who didn't. And I, to be fair, you know, every time I've worked at a sporting organization, I've had to do that at times. I used to, I used to really depress me at Wembley when, um, you know, you'd have an event manager who was running the event. Um, and, you know, maybe they liked rugby more and they'd make one of those rugby union style sort of rugby union defines itself by not being football and is so absolutely ridiculously smug about that fact um and i like rugby union i like some of the people involved but i it's so defined by not being football and you get these rugby union fans like this event manager if you'd say disparaging things about fans and i'd be like hang on a minute this is the national stadium these are our customers let's treat them with some effing respect you know and not be like that and i think occasionally you need to have a few people internally saying that at loftus road because i think it, it does feel a bit monotonous new paul did you want to come in I was just going to say, you know, you can't please everyone. I think um, sort of what you just said, but I think we're, we're we're all we all do that as well. We talk about other football teams and things like that, and we sort of we talk about like you know, it doesn't matter if it's Chelsea, it doesn't matter if it's Bristol City or or any team. We sort of talk about them, their fans or their team, almost as if it's one person. Is there's, mm. there's one stereotypical Chelsea fan? There's one stereotypical. Fulham fan with his clappers and his and his cucumber sandwich. Actually, that's probably quite true. But I know. I'm gonna it, I'm gonna have to yeah. mute Finney at the end of this. Finney, you are Absolutely. not coming but, in on the end of this. Know, point. <laughs> I think I think we all do do that to to quite a big degree, and I think um, Lee Hughes, uh, from what I heard, has does do that a lot. Finney, no, 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 Finney, no, 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 no. We're moving on. We're moving on because I know what you're gonna do. I know what you're gonna do. We're moving on. What I'm going to say is, it's really funny because I've always been accused of asking questions at fans' forums. I haven't even been at. So people are going, oh, Finny asked a stupid question. I wasn't even there. So, you know, people do come with us the same old faces, the same old questions, the same old people. But a lot of it isn't. Um, Stan Bowles, Clive, over to you. That's what I'm going to ask. Right. Stan Bowles, tread carefully. Um, 
there has been a petition presented to the club of more than a thousand signatures uh, saying that there should be a, a permanent tribute, uh, not a memorial, obviously, because Stan, God bless him, is, is still with us, but a, a permanent tribute, presumably a statue, a plaque. I'm not sure quite what the idea would be, but a position has been presented to the club. Lee Hughes was asked about this at the forum and basically threw it straight back saying, well, you haven't told us what, uh, whether it would be a statue, whether it would be renaming a stand. Um, he also made the point that um, when this debate comes up, it often then descends into what about her? Well, what about Rodney Marsh? What about Dave Thomas? What about hundreds of... Jago, Alex yeah. Stott, um, Alan McDonald. I don't know whether I don't know whether Alan McDonald, obviously. Um, I don't know whether that's a useful get out for for Hughes to avoid answering the question, um, or whether he is genuinely exasperated with it. He's he gets a lot of grief on social media for this issue from the people that are very passionate about it. Um, I've had my fingers burnt commenting on this before. Um, so I'm going to throw it open to somebody else uh, to to talk. Where... Well, I was sorry. Go I'll, on, just quick, I'll go on quickly because I, I I've been hammered on this one as well several times by certain people. I don't know. You can't win, Jim, as you well know. And Paul, we all QPR fans, but there's there's an argument for at least 15 people I can think of on the top of my head. You know, George Goddard, top goal scorer. Reg Allen for what happened to him during the war. Jerry Francis to play for QPR, new player to Captain England. Alan McDonald, most internationally capped player to come from the youth team and everything else. You've got Ian Gillard, most appearances. Um, you know, where, where, where do you stop? But it doesn't it doesn't have it, to be either, it doesn't have to be either or though, does it? You no, can of course have a Stan not. tribute and you can have an Ian Gillard tribute and a Gordon well, see, what I was thinking, I was just thinking like maybe have a Legends Bar in the name of Ian Gillard, where you could have people coming in. But the fans have got to look for these things as well. It's all very well people saying, let's do it. And you could have, like, the club historian talking about Reg Allen, or you could have Phil Parks in talking about Phil Parks. You could open up and, and do, like, a special game on these people. So it's in the programme, they're to answer questions, and you can meet them and talk to them and everything else. You could name, instead of naming Stambul's, you could have a Stambul's stand, you could have a Stambul's block. It's about remembering each and every one and those that have gone before as well. It's not just Dan, there's Mike King, there's Alan McDonald, there's lots um Jones, there's lots of people who are no longer league. You know, this and it's about but it's gotta be open to the fans. But to give them a petition which we're led to believe didn't have a a, a direction. Um maybe we don't know what was in it. I don't know, maybe they've got better ideas. But the way I think about it is is maybe instead of having Q block or block, name them after players or events, and then you could have like the Mike King. W12 club things I like got there, you know. So because he was the only, you know, he lifted a trophy at Wembley, but then do you have for like Warnock, Jago Stock, you know, um, Sexton as well, managers. So it's, and do you name the away stand after Jim Gregory because Jim Gregory built Queens Park Rangers. So it's but Finn, it's, Finn, it's, Finn, Finn, Finn. Like Stan Bowles is special. He is he is the greatest player that we've ever had. The point that they're agreed. making is Stan Bowles is special, and all of these other people are special in their own way. But Stan is special, um, and it it shouldn't be beyond the wit of the club to do something. I absolutely do not pertain to talk for the people that are pushing this because I, from what I gather, they don't particularly like me um, and what I've said about it in the past. But he is but special. He is, he, he, who is the greatest ever QPR player? It's Stan Bowles. Well, Stan Bowles. But then what you do then is just name... Stan Bowles, to me, loved the loft. You know, every time you see Stan, 
he's looking at the loft. Apart from that lovely picture where he scored against Man United, where he's walking towards the, the, the paddocks, which I think is Africa Roadstone, which I think is the greatest football image ever. You know, you have five Man United players on their arse. Um, name the loft after him, up and bottom, top and bottom, name it after him because that's where he was loved the most and he loved the loft. That's the only thing that makes sense to me. If you're going to do something, do that. I'm coming to, I'm going to come to Newport, but are we not just, do we, and is Lee, who's not guilty of this as well, of just sort of kicking this into the long grass by every time it's brought up going, what about Alan McDonald? What about Ron Springett? What about Gordon Jago? What about Dave yeah. Sexton? Are we not guilty of just booting this issue into the long grass? Paul, I think, we are to, I think we are to a certain degree because um, I never saw Stan play, but I do know that he is the player that sort of binds a lot of us together when we talk about when you talk about the older players, the younger players, the younger fans and ev everything else. People talk about Stan as being the best player we've ever had and that sort of inspiration to the club. And um, when you look at the quotes about how he talked about the, the club he loved the most and everything like that, it all comes back to him. And I do think, you know, you look at other clubs and they have that one figure. And I think for us, Stan is that, is that, um, is that person. And I, as you say, there's a hundred million different, well, not hundred million, actually, we're not that good, but you know, there's a, there, there's a lot of players we could do things for, you know, Adam McDonald and things like that. We, you know, we could even have the alternative one. We could, um, we could name the toilets after sort of the Carl Reddy toilets and the um, Tony Roberts or, or George Santos or whatever else. I think we, but it, it's everlasting. You could go down and say all these different players it should be, but I do think Stan... Steve Morrow piss pipe. Yeah, exactly. But Stan does bind the fans together, and I think he Agreed. is that, that, that figure of QPR that a lot of people think of. But yeah. what, I don't want, what I don't want is a, an argument. I think if you're going to do it, just do it. And you, yeah, you're right, Stan Balls is that one person. But what you don't want is what about this, what about that, what about the other? You're quite right. So you don't want an argument. You want it to be unified, universal, and accepted by all and I think everyone we all love Stan don't we Jim just whack a just whack a statue up Lee Hughes get on with it Wait, am I wrong yes you're wrong um, I think it should be something done in conjunction fan groups and club together and I think it's fair for Lee to turn around and go okay great you've done a petition but you know petitions are generally sort of stuff when you want to protest the law or you think something is wrong and someone needs to fix it and this isn't you know okay Something's wrong in the sense that there ought to be a, a permanent memorial, memorial, sorry, wrong word. There, there should be some permanent sign of Stan at the club. You know, he left me a voicemail when I worked at the club. Um, it, I kept it for three years and then was really gutted when they changed the voicemail system and I lost it. Um, you know, just having having Stan ring me up and go, all right, Jim, it's Stan here. And I'm like, ah! <laughs> you know, <laughs> um, although I never saw him play. So it was just, yeah. Um, no, there should be something there, but I think Lee's right. It's up to the fans to come up with something, some options, and it's up to the club to help them. So let's do it together. I think we should we name the loft. Would it have to name the loft after Stan? It wouldn't, would it really? Let's be honest. I think Man no. City are on their third statue this season, where they're just announced an Aguero statue. So we don't want to get to that stage either, where we're sort of having statues to everyone. But yeah, if we won the league. We can put as many statues up as we want now. So, so, yeah. There's also the question of where you put it, which comes back to the the, the land space that, that Loftus Road is on, which is where we started this conversation, uh, what feels like six and a half hours ago. Um, where where would it go? Um, I think we've covered you know, the fans. Do, do you know, randomly, randomly talk about statues. This is really random, right? I hope this gets edited out, Paul. We've been chatting for two hours, man. Come on. Right. 
they, on the North Circular, there used to be a statue of John Lennon on top of a of, a, of an old pub. I've had too much to drink. Why? <laughs> I just what? Seriously, what, I don't. I don't doubt you. I just what? Yeah, I'd love to. I'd love to know how your mind works. Honestly, you wouldn't. Um, you wouldn't. Right. Um, that's so the all agree that near the loft after Istanbul's. Let's make it happen. Um, Coventry Friday predictions. QPR nine games to go in the season. I remember nine games to go last season. Everyone was optimistic. Finney was doing his playoff shouting bit and uh, we were six points on the playoffs. We just won at Preston. Obviously, some extenuating circumstances uh, and we fell in a massive hole over the last nine games. Um, Coventry, Friday, first of those nine games. Uh, how do we see Coventry? New Paul, you go first. You're from Cov. Coventry, have, um, I think they've only won twice away this season. Oh, God. So that is, not even that watch is it. absolute them to win it then. Um now, I think Coventry have, a, a bit like Reading, we talked about earlier on, that actually um, having no fans hasn't affected them too much. So they've actually had quite a good season at home. They're, they're, they haven't been, although it is Birmingham's ground, they're, they're not as good away, I think, 2-0 to us. I think we'll be all right. Honey, briefly. Well, no, he said he said nothing. Great, great, no, great. Oh, me briefly, sorry. You got yes. muted out by a, a message I got. I... Do you know what? Firstly, I'm pleased that Coventry are going home. Firstly and foremostly, we talk about clubs that are in trouble and everything else. There was a club that had the dream of a new ground and it was stolen from them by horrible people. And um, fair play to for getting the club back. And I wish them well with it and hope we beat them 3-0. <laughs> I think I'm the only person in the world that uh, doesn't want Coventry to go back to the Rico because it's a shithole and I hate going to it and I hope they stay at St Andrews for the rest of the time. Um we have uh, one, one, three, drawn three, lost none coming back off breaks of eight days or more this season. Um, and I rarely, for me, I think we will continue that on Friday. I think we will be possibly two new. Jim, I, I, I'm, I really struggle to be positive predicting a game, but I'm with you. <laughs> I think we're better after a break. The, the, there's so many reasons why we're not going to do it. Not least the fact that we're all positive now. And not least the <laughs> fact that we're normally on the beach this time of year as soon as we get to safety. But, yeah, you know, who's? I think we've still got enough to prove, you know. I think even even Charlie Austin, who's been there and done it, you know, whether his future's with us or elsewhere, he still needs to carry on scoring goals. So, and we'll have all had a chance to rest, which has helped us. So, yeah, I think we're going to win. And I'm jinxing us with this. And I'm really sorry. Yeah. Well, lethal, yeah, lethal. If all of us have gone for a win, we got no chance. The other, get the other thing we have to play for. Coming back to it, selling season tickets for next year. I think there'll be a lot of people wondering about going back. Maybe not feeling safe. Maybe have noticed the extra money in their bank account through not going to QPR every week. Maybe have got out of the habit. A nice run through to the end of the season, a top ten finish. Hope for next season could could really help with that. So uh, let's hope the players are, are switched on for for that, and it doesn't go. Jim's shaking his head, and uh, it never bloody happens right every time i did a promotion we had the word like grimsby's keeper pulled out a worldie from nowhere and lost one nil was danny coin man danny coin yeah, broke my danny heart coin. that day yeah just, yeah what? that was and we had that was a day we did a massive promotion we had seventeen thousand people in we did the 10 quid five quid tickets whatever it was and he pulls out a blinder every time we did a promotion it never happened every time we came up to season ticket renewal you're thinking oh we could do with a win today did they help so no with Blatantly losing as soon as we start putting season tickets out there. 
Ours ends all round. I'm going to do Todd Kane. Todd Kane. Comments in interviews, I'm sure we've all seen uh, an interview that was put up by uh, our generation, uh, which is an excellent site run by uh, budding young QPR writers. Great initiative. Got the interview. Got an amazing scoop. I love it when players go off piste in interviews with me. Very kindly took it down, presumably at the request of the club. Uh, that I think that would have been a, a, a whistle whistle for that, mate, if that request had come my way. But everyone's seen the, the comment uh, taken out of context uh, a little bit. You know, what do we think? Basically uh, uh, said that uh, he knows he's a better player than Osman Kakai, mentioned some uh, fictitious £13 million move to Sheffield United that at one point has apparently fallen through. Uh, Osman, while playing in the Scottish League, Todd knows the game inside out. It didn't look or sound great, to be fair to him, either the small clip or when you read the whole thing in context. Um Ooh, it's a tricky one, isn't it? I mean, personally, right, I, <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna hand this over to Paul because I think Paul's itching to get in on this one, so I'm gonna hand this up and I'll come back on it. No, um, I, I he made a mistake. He shouldn't have said what he did. It's wrong what he said. Came across as arrogant, but I think we'll, we'll put a line to it and move on probably soon and try and forget about it because hopefully they. There's no falling out between the two of them. Hopefully, he just said it wrong, that it wasn't quite what he meant. I really hope he didn't mean it exactly how it came out because it didn't sound good at all. I have heard the interview and it was not very pleasant. I wouldn't say that about a colleague in any industry, as in especially not one which is such in the public eye. And I hope they've apologised to each other and moved on from it. Old Paul. Um, I don't think. I think it was bloody stupid. I think he's an idiot for saying it. And he's the thickest champ, as they say in Ireland, for doing it. And I don't think it was taken out of context. It came out exactly how he meant it. He thinks he's better. He thinks he's had a better football background because he was once maybe could have been a £13 million player. End of the day, he was a free transfer. And as, as I say, he's, 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 in, he's in position to fight for his place. And fight for your place, but don't slag off anyone else who's ahead of you for whatever reason. It's about looking after each other's backs in this world, not about trying to um, make a younger player feel inferior to you because you've once had a bigger price tag. That's ridiculous. And he was stupid for saying that. And hopefully he will never say anything stupid as a kid. Have I said stupid things in the past? Every fucking day of my life. <laughs> uh, Jim, thick as shit, isn't he? Players say stupid things, shocker. Um, <laughs> players are always going to say stupid things. I'm not that bothered about it. And what's the alternative? Like, he thinks Kakai's better than him and he shouldn't be in the team. Well, that means he has no self-belief and has got no place even walking into the training ground. So, yeah, he should he should think he's better than Kakai. Maybe he is a bit silly for saying it, but I, I've no issue with him thinking that. And as for a £30 million bid, well, you never know. Like, youth team players go for funny money a lot, so it might not be complete rubbish. My massive issue with Todd Kane is his percentages on beating the first man with a cross for a professional footballer <laughs> are an absolute scandal. And if he's going to have a look in the mirror... You should look at his own bloody highlights reel about how many times he fails to get in a cross and how Albert Adoma does consistently. And I've got a massive issue with his crossing and how Sky against Watford thought he was good just because he was given acres of space and occasionally delivered. It's like, Jesus Christ, it's embarrassing, you know. So, yeah, I am angry with Todd Kane, but I'm entirely angry with him for the absolute paucity of his delivery from wide areas. 
you're a man after my own heart with that Watford game. I was like, that was a proper throw enough shit at the wall night. If you're going to let the guy put 25 crosses in, one of them might turn out to be okay. He has played pretty well recently, if, we, if we're being yeah. fair to him. And he does know the game inside out by his own admission. So, uh, But just we improve. Should... Work on your crossing. <laughs> Go away. Work hard and improve. New Paul, did you come with an R's end? Um, to apologize, I'm going to do an old Paul one. Um, I'm too sorry. Um, first of all, just um, if, a bit of self-promotion. If anyone um, from the Midlands um, Rangers fans, please look us up on Facebook. We've got a Midland um, Rangers um, supporters um, on Facebook. Just put Midland R's into it and um, come and join us. Um, I think also, going back to some of the things we've said, uh, and Paul mentioned about the um, Coventry going back to the Rico, it's sort of be careful what you wish for. We're always sort of looking to the next thing with Rangers, next manager, next chairman, all that sort of thing, and actually look at Coventry and what, what they've been through over recent years. Um, they are going back to the Rico, but I went to watch them a few seasons ago at the Rico, and it was so hard to get a ticket. Not hard to get a ticket, but just to actually buy a ticket. You had to go to a rugby club to get them off, off a desk, and you couldn't choose where you sit. You They, they only sold a block at a time because it... Cause it they couldn't afford the policing, so they, you, you couldn't choose where you sat. They only had one stand open, and and then they moved to Birmingham. They've been to Northampton, and I've, I've seen friends of mine, found, and you know, who have fallen out over it. And I think um, overall, we've got a, a, a stable football club, and and going forward, I hope we make a lot of noise when we go back and um, remember what we are, and don't wish for 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 something that is is not achievable, and actually keep being the club we we want to be. Um, while trying to have what I said earlier on about actually sort of having some ambition as well. Very easy to get a new ground wrong. We're all here saying yeah. new grounds answer to all the problem. My God, I've been to I've been to more bad new grounds than I have good ones. Um, Coventry being just about the worst of them. Uh, Jim, what's your R's end? Uh, I plug as well as as I. It, if you've been doing the beer sponsor, I don't know who the beer sponsor is today, but I've been having my fight back lager, which is a, a new beer that you can you can buy in a lot of music venues and every a profit bit of profit from every bottle goes to the music venue trust who are supporting grassroots venues because uh they are on their ass and they're dying out and they're a massive part of our culture and if you can help them by drinking a bottle of beer then you're doing a wonderful thing so um do drink fight back lager well said and uh, Jim, you've got me out of a massive hole there because the only job I had to do tonight, apart from control Finney and get it in under an hour, neither of which I've accomplished, was to read the sponsors out. Today's sponsor is John Cook of The Good Ship. Uh, he's a good fellow, John. So uh, thank he's you for that. And uh, the beers... Fight Back Lager as well. The beers, Fight Back Lager, today were bought by Josh Banks, um, who I think bought the beers last week. So is uh, obviously just giving the money away at the minute, Josh. He's trying to get us absolutely pissed every week, so we, we come up with a really good podcast. Well, yeah, if you... <laughs> If you want to chip in for my mortgage, Josh, um, my uh, my DMs are open. If you just if you're just giving it away, mate. But, uh, well, thank, thank you, you to, to John and the Good Ship for sponsoring today's elongated episode, and Josh Banks for buying the beers. Uh, Finney, births, marriages, and deaths. Yeah. Um, <laughs> do you know what, Clive? That's actually very funny for you, and I'm 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 applauding your humour inside my head. Well done, you. No, no, I'm, I'm good. We're just saying that um, hopefully we win and we keep the run going towards the playoffs and see you all at Wembley, my friends. Maybe. And we leave it there. Uh, Paul, Paul and Jim, thank you so much uh, for all of your time this evening. It's been a great chat. And uh, yeah, here's to, here's to a win on Friday against Coventry. Come on, you guys. UPR. UPR. Rangers are on